right? Um, so every day we live life in relationship with others. Um, and it's an important thing. And in fact, I was telling somebody just uh, earlier this week um, that, that kind of the, the idea with this series, when I began to think about this, this series, the thing that came to my mind was the most important thing that you can do to improve the quality of your life is to improve your relationships, Right? Think about that for just a moment. The most important thing that we can do to improve the quality of our lives is to improve our relationships, to have better and healthier and stronger relationships. Now, while I like that and I like saying that, I don't believe that having a better quality of life should be the motivation for having healthier relationships. Rather it's, rather, it's our decision to follow Jesus Christ. And so we're in this series, and we're saying, hey, we're talking about following Jesus, and part of following Jesus means strengthening our relationships. There are some things that Jesus teaches us about how we ought to relate to other people. And when we follow Christ, when we live in the way that God has called us to live, um, our relationships should be stronger because of the way that we live in relationship to others. And so last week, we talked about love, and, uh, and we, we talked a lot about what the Scriptures teach us about love and what it has to say about loving others. And there are some challenging things in the Scriptures. Jesus teaches us to make love a dominant relationship principle in our lives. Right? It's a dominant relationship principle. It's the thing that's at the forefront of our lives, to make it our priority. He even goes so far as to teach us to love our enemies. And the last week, I know when, as, I was, as I was up here talking and teaching, and I could see it even on some of your faces, that when, when, when I said, Jesus teaches us to love our enemies, now picture who that person is, right? right there, there, there may be a face that pops up, right? You might have just lost focus, so try to regain focus. Because there might be somebody that's been annoying you all week long, right? Or somebody that you're like, I don't know why she has to, every week, every, all Monday morning, right? She goes in at 9.30 already, just got to work. Wanted to do this week different, right? Maybe there's that, that name or a face or a person that pops in your head. Um, but Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. And that that love is, is regardless of what the other person does. I thought about this, this analogy actually just this morning. Um, it's kind of like playing tennis, right? When you play tennis, you serve the ball and the person hits it back to you. But the love that Jesus is, is teaching us is serving and continuing to serve regardless of whether the other person hits the ball back, right? If we love somebody and we don't get love in return, that's probably like their one, their one chance of receiving a loving action from us, right? We kind of write them off. That's our tendency. But Jesus is teaching us to serve the ball, right? And even if they don't hit it back, even if they still live in opposition to us, even if they still do mean and, and hurtful things, that, that we're still to love those people. And that's challenging. Um, but love is a dominant relationship principle that Jesus teaches. And so this week, we're going to go a little bit further in talking about relationships and something else that Jesus teaches. But let's pray before we get into uh, the message this morning. God, we give you thanks. Um, we give you thanks that you've uh, shown us what love looks like. I keep going back to that verse in Romans. I think it's in chapter 5 that says, while we were still enemies of God, while we were your enemies, that you chose to love us that you chose to show us unconditional love. It wasn't conditioned on anything that we did or said or ever could become, but it was simply an act of your grace. It was simply the overwhelming power of love. God, you looked past our faults and you saw our needs and you chose to love us. God, help us to receive that love and help us to turn it around and show it to other people. 
And God, please guide us this morning as we, um, as we look in your scriptures even deeper. Please guide us in our relationships. Please help us to be better followers of Christ. And ultimately, as a byproduct of that, please, God, strengthen our relationships. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So last week, as I was talking about love, I, I could imagine this, and this is kind of how, how I feel. And so I'm just laying it out about, about just kind of how I feel about this. And that's that I can imagine some of you saying to yourself, I hear what you're saying about love my enemies, but you don't know what it's like to deal with, you know, fill in the blank, whatever name you have there, you, or, or I can hear you say, love my enemies, but you don't know how deeply, fill in the blank, hurt me. Or, or I can hear you say, love all, everyone, love all people, including my enemies, but there's some pain in here that's preventing me from doing that. Right? For many of us, that's our story. Right? We're hearing the command, we're reading the scriptures, we're hearing what Jesus says about loving our enemies, but there's something there that's blocking that love. And there's some people that we're hearing that command from Jesus, and we're writing some people off, because for some people, it's just not really an option. Right? I'm, I'm just not going there. Jesus meant love everyone except, right? That's so easy to do because it's hard to sometimes, and it maybe swallow our pride and to love unconditionally, even when it's difficult. But I want to challenge you this morning to, for that person that maybe you've written off or that person that you say, this scripture applies but to everyone but him or everyone but her. Put that person's name back in there. And let's, let's talk about what that means. Let's wrestle with it. Because the scriptures challenge us to wrestle with what it looks like for us to follow Jesus. You see, the reality is when someone wrongs us, when someone hurts us, when someone abuses us, it brings about, it elicits all kinds of emotions, right? It might be anger. It might be hatred. It might be fear. It might be anxiety. It might be pride, right? It, it brings about all kinds of emotions, and the reality is these emotions hinder love. These emotions prevent us from acting in a loving way. When someone's hurt us, it's hard to turn around and show them love. We either want to distance ourselves from them, separate ourselves, have nothing to do with them, or we want to hurt them in return. Right? Or we can think of a number of different things. Like maybe I could just pull their toenails off one at a time or something. I, <clears throat> not that I've ever considered that. Um, but there's all kinds of things that we can think of that will be hurtful to those who've hurt us. And these emotions, as we deal with them, as we wrestle with them, as we live with them, they make it difficult to love. In fact, sometimes in the church, I think we're guilty of, um, of kind of beating ourselves up because of our emotions. We're guilty of saying, um, we're of, of kind of looking down upon ourselves because I, have, uh, I don't have love in my heart, because I feel, you know, hatred maybe even rising for someone, or I feel uh, frustration rising with someone, or, or I'm feeling sad because of what someone's done, or I, I feel this fear within. And we have a tendency to beat ourselves up because of these emotions. 
That's one of the reasons why I love the book of Psalms. If you ever read in the book of Psalms, it goes through the emotions of, uh, of human life, not just Christian life, but, uh, but the emotions that all people feel as being humans. The whole gamut of emotions are displayed in the book of Psalms as, as writers are laying out their emotions before God. Right? It goes from extreme joy to extreme sadness, from extreme pleasure and satisfaction to extreme pain. This whole gamut of human emotion, the writer lays them out. There's a psalm, psalm um, I think it's Psalm 88, and it's not going to be on the screen, but I just want to read it for you. It says this, it says, uh, just part of it, I'm going to begin in verse 1. It says, Lord, you are God, the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down in the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths, your wrath lay, lies heavy on me, and you have overwhelmed me with your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Right? That's the book of Psalms. And that's the guy saying, life has gotten hard. People have hurt me. My friends are no more. And life is is rough and i'm feeling real pain i love the book of psalms because it displays the whole gamut of human emotions and it validates these emotions and say, says part of being human is feeling this way part of being human is having anger and having frustration and at times feeling sad and feeling depressed and feeling down that's part of being human and what the scriptures are challenging us with is what are you going to do in return with those emotions? Don't beat yourselves up because of the way that you feel, but what are you going to do with the way that you feel? You know, in Ephesians, Paul's writing this letter to the church. And I love what he does with one particular emotion, but I believe we can apply it to all of our emotions. In Ephesians chapter 4, um, he says this, and let me just find it real quick. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's writing here and he says um, this in verse 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. And do not give the devil a foothold. Um, and so he's saying, uh, well, in your anger, do not sin. I missed the part. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. What he's saying is don't, you know, there's not, there's nothing wrong with feeling anger. There's nothing wrong with getting upset. He's not taking, saying our emotions are wrong and we need to beat ourselves up because of the way that we feel. But he's saying anger is a part of being human, but don't give it the devil, a, don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Don't let the sun go down because when you ha hold on to those emotions, that anger, that frustration, that fear, that sadness, that hatred, when you hold on to that, now the situation that caused it is real, and he validates that, but when you hold on to it, you're giving the devil a foothold in your life, and some destructive things might come of it. 
It's not out of emotions that destructive things come, but it's when we hold on to our emotions. He's teaching when we relentlessly hold on to our emotions, the way that we feel when we have these negative emotions, when we relentlessly hold on to them and refuse to let them go, we'll find that there comes a time where those emotions will begin to hold on to us. And we can't let them go because now they have a grip in our life and it's harder to move past it. And what the scriptures are challenging us to do is not to beat ourselves up because of the way that we feel, but to become aware of our feelings, to become aware of our emotions, and to begin to work our way through them in a healthy and productive way. This may mean talking to a friend, but if that is talking to a friend, make sure you discern who that friend is carefully, right? Because there are some friends that will not be very helpful. They will make you feel good about it, right? But they will not be helpful in their advice. It may mean talking to somebody. It may be, mean seeing a counselor or a therapist or somebody that you can talk through these feelings in a safe environment, an environment where you can lay it all out, where you can be heard and you can hear, right? And you can express these things and you can have the help of someone else who can walk with you through these challenging times in your life. The reality is these emotions come upon us all. We will all feel anger. We'll all feel hatred. We'll all feel pride. We'll all feel frustration. We'll all feel fear at some point in our lives. And the Bible's challenging us to do something with it and not to just sit on it. Because when we do, we're giving the devil a foothold in our lives. Those emotions begin to hold on to us. We can't shake them. And they're hindering our love and forgiveness. You see, Jesus is teaching us to live a life where we are forgiving others. But as long as we're holding on to these things, these emotions, they hinder forgiveness like nothing else can. They hinder forgiveness like nothing else can. You see, we're hurt. When people wrong us, we're hurt. We feel like they owe us something. And I love what the scriptures do in Matthew chapter 18. And this is kind of our primary text this morning. In Matthew chapter 18, because Jesus challenges us. You know, we say, well, it feels like they owe us something. And Jesus kind of turns this and says, that's because they do. When someone hurts us, when they wrong us, they, we feel this certain way. We feel like they owe us something. And, and that's simply because they, they actually do owe us something. Look at Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to read this, uh, I think, starting in verse, verse 21 in Matthew chapter 18. Look at what, what Jesus says. He begins, well, he's going to talk to Peter, and he's going to tell this story. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Right, that seems like a fairly generous number. He says, up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not 77 times, but 77 times, but 77 times, all right? It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servant. As he began to settle, began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So this guy owed his master some money, right? And he comes to him and he, he says, hey, give me my money. You, you, you know, you've had it long enough, you know, with interest, give it back. And this guy doesn't have it. And so he orders that everything that he has, his wife and his children, 
right? Talk about a hard life. His wife and his children be sold so that he could pay his debt. It says in verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I think that's an understatement, right? I think he was probably crying and and everything else. I mean, this guy is, be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Right? It's not that he didn't owe his master any longer. But it's that the master chose to cancel his debt. And Jesus is telling this story as an illustration of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness means canceling someone else's debt. It means saying, yes, I acknowledge you owe me. You have wronged me. You've done me wrong. And you deserve to be paid back. There's a debt that you owe me. There's a debt that that by all means I deserve to take from you. But I'm going to choose to cancel that debt. On the handout this week, and sometimes um, you should have gotten one of these on your way in. If not, I think there's probably some more in the back. But we have these, these sermon handouts, and they have uh, questions for consideration. There's this quote on there for number four um, by this lady named Jan Johnson. It says this, and I want you to listen to this quote. It's, it's powerful. It spoke to me a lot this week. It says, forgiveness is not the same thing as approving what another person has done or even being tolerant of others. It's not the same as excusing a wrong, ignoring it, trying to forget it, or pretending a wrong didn't occur. Instead, it's a choice to bless someone who has done us wrong when there appears to be no sensible reason. This is, <clears throat> when there appears to be no sensible reason. Right? So it's not about saying, hey, you didn't hurt me or you didn't do any wrong to me. But it's about recognizing that there's a debt that's owed and not demanding it back, right? This is deeply a form of generosity. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about generosity in the sense of giving financially. But the Bible, when it talks about generosity and when it says that we are to be generous people and when we as Tri-Cities Church talk about generosity as being one of our values, one of our core values as a church, we're not just talking about giving our money. We're talking about living a generous life. That not only includes giving financially, but it includes forgiving others. This is a deeply generous life. And in fact, this kind of generosity is the centerpiece of the gospel. The whole gospel revolves around the deep generosity of God that does not make sense. I love in, in, in the book of Colossians, Paul's writing to the church again. When you begin writing through, reading through some of these letters um, uh, that Paul writes to the church, he's very clear about, um, about the gospel and what Jesus did, um, what God did through Jesus Christ, not really making sense. And then Coloss- Corinthians chapter 1, this is one of those times where he talks about that. In verse 18, he says this, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness. I like the way he says that. He doesn't say that it's it's wisdom, that it sounds good, but the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Those who recognize what God has done through Jesus Christ, this message that at one time seemed foolish because it was oh so generous, it becomes the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And then down in verse 25, he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And so he says, God took this very foolish generosity and and he decided to shape the entire gospel around that. That God chose to come and establish his kingdom on earth and then to establish himself as king and then to welcome the whole world into his kingdom, regardless of what anyone had done, regardless of how um, how bad we had acted, right? Regardless of of how bad we, the the bad things that we've done, regardless of whether we uh, lived as God's enemies or not. God established his kingdom, flew um, through the gates wide open, and he's welcomed the whole world in because of his great unconditional love. And he's welcomed us, us to come and live as citizens of his kingdom and to enjoy the benefits and blessings of his kingdom and ultimately to enjoy that for all eternity. This is the gospel. It's the story of a God who is king and establishes kingdom upon the earth. And it does not make sense for him to welcome us. This kind of forgiveness, this kind of acceptance, this kind of love is deeply generous. God is a deeply generous God. And he's chosen us. He's called us to come and be a part of that kingdom that does not make sense. And to live in the same way. To show this deeply generous forgiveness. To forgive in a very generous way. You see, for followers of Christ, this isn't an option. It's an obligation. It's not an option for us to be generous. If we're going to choose to follow Christ, we must forgive as Christ has chosen to forgive us. Let's look back in Matthew chapter 18 and see what this servant did after he was forgiven by by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to pick up in verse 28. It says, but when that servant went out, and this is after he had been forgiven, after this debt, what was it? I think 10,000 bags of gold, right? 10,000 bags of gold after he had been forgiven this great debt, after his wife and children were spared, after he got to keep his house and all the things that he accumulated throughout life. It says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now we all know silver is not as valuable as gold and 10,000 is a lot more valuable than a hundred. Right? So this guy didn't know him much. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. This is the same thing this guy said just a few verses earlier. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and, and went to their master and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father would treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The scriptures are teaching and Jesus is teaching here that when we choose to follow Christ, when we choose to accept God's forgiveness, that forgiveness in return becomes not an option. It becomes an obligation. Because when we treat it as an option, when we begin to write this person off or write that person off or say he must not have meant this person or he must not have meant that person, we become like the wicked servant who has now received God's forgiveness and is not paying it forward. Instead, what Jesus says is forgive completely from your heart. When he says to forgive completely from your heart, he's talking about forgiving uh, completely, continuously, and actually. He wants us to actually forgive. Right? This kind of forgiveness is not just in words, but it's really letting go of a debt. Now, I want to I kind of pause right here, and I want to acknowledge that like, while it's easy for me to get up here and say this, I'm fully aware of how difficult this is, right? And that it's not always as black and white as it sounds. But the scriptures are calling us to wrestle with what this means and to take following Christ seriously, to take it not as an option, but to take it as an obligation and began going through that process of letting go of that debt and forgiving others. You see, when Jesus teaches us to forgive, and I, I think I said commands, he commands us to give. When we think of command, we often think of like this person, this kind of divine lawmaker who makes these rules and then challenges us or calls us or commands us to follow them. And a lot of times we don't see the point, right? It's easier to kind of write someone off and not forgive them, not to give them the satisfaction maybe of knowing that they've been forgiven. It's easier just to ignore them and have nothing else to do with them and to never forgive and just keep walking. Um, but Jesus knows that these commandments, that this commandment, especially to forgive, is for our good. Jesus is not just coming up with a list of rules and saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, because I said so, or because I want you to, or because I want to see how hard you work at it. But he knows ultimately that it's for our good. You see, when we forgive others, it releases us from the prison of our pain. Right? The reality is when we hold a debt against someone, that person may have already gone on with their life, and in fact, for some, that person may have already passed away and no longer be alive. And we're still holding that debt, knowing that we're never going to be able to pay them back or get the payback that we deserve. And we're still holding on to it. And in reality, what we're doing is we're holding on to that pain and we're holding our hearts hostage. And Jesus knows that when we forgive... And we fight that temptation to write someone off and say, no, I'm going to choose to forgive them, that we find freedom from our pain. And it sets us on a journey from hurting to healing to wholeness. And God wants us on that journey. He doesn't want us to stay with our hurting, but he wants us to take these progressive steps with him to healing and to wholeness. The reality is, unless we forgive 
We're stuck there in a prison of our pain, in a prison of our anger, in a prison of our frustration, in a prison of our emotions. And we end up making ourselves miserable. And the only way that we can get the healing that only God brings is when we say, God, help me to forgive. Yeah, this person owes me, but I want to cancel that debt. Help me to cancel that debt so that I'm no longer in the prison of pain, frustration, anger, emotion. I want to be free from this. Right? Let's, I pray that prayer with you. Pray that prayer. I want to challenge you. Pray that prayer. Pray that prayer, and I'll pray it with you. God, free us. Help us to forgive, because it's only there that we find freedom. The second thing that forgiveness does is it opens the door to reconciliation. A lot of times relationships have been ruined over hurt and pain or someone wrongs us. But when we forgive, when we go through the the door that's been opened for us through Jesus Christ, right, it opens another door to reconciliation, for relationships to be restored, for healing to happen. Now, when Jesus talks about forgiveness, he's not saying everyone needs to be your friend, right? Because that's not true. He's not teaching us to be friends with everyone. Forgiveness means letting go of a debt, but recognizing that there are some people that we don't need to be friends with. And recognizing that there are some people that we don't need to be in close relationship with because they continue to hurt us time and time and time again. You see, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation, and reconciliation is not the same thing as friendship. Forgiveness means letting go of a debt. Reconciliation means having a peaceful relationship with one another. Friendship means having an ongoing relationship with someone. Jesus is not calling us to have this ongoing, deep and intimate relationship with everyone we know because there are some people that will hurt us and continue to bring us down. But he is calling us to forgive everyone who has hurt us and to cancel their debt. Then the final thing that forgiveness does is it enables us to receive God's forgiveness. You know, I've been hearing this word kind of over and over in my head, and I don't really know what there is to it. I'm just kind of, you know, I hear it, and my wife's probably been looking at me like I'm crazy, but there's this, there's this word, celebrate. And it's in some songs, and I've read it, I've come across it in Scripture, and it almost seems like every time I read it or hear it, it almost just kind of jumps out to me. And the reality is, celebration is a part of the Christian life. You see, as we follow Christ... And as we make it through these steps, this process of forgiveness, and we forgive others, we celebrate. Because the reality is that when we forgive, we're reminded that God has forgiven us. That the great debt that we owed, the 10,000 bags of gold that we owed the Master, has been forgiven. And we're reminded that we have reason to celebrate. That we have reason to be glad. And so it's not just overcoming the challenge of forgiving, but it's when we overcome that challenge, we celebrate together. Maybe you've forgiven someone and you've let that debt go. Tell a friend about it. Celebrate with them. Tell us about it. Celebrate with us. We'll celebrate with you. We celebrate forgiveness because God has forgiven us. You know, we're going to continue this series for at least two more weeks. We're talking about relationships. And relationships are important in our lives because God created us to live in community. Whether we know it or not, we need one another. 
And I love to talk about the church because in the church, a lot of times we view this gathering, us coming together on Sunday morning, is doing our kind of our weekly duty, the thing that we've been called to do. Um, and we gather, and it's, it's about, um, it may be about singing songs. It may be about, uh, for you, it may be about singing songs. It may be about hearing a message. But ultimately, what God had in mind was a community, a community of people that would do life with one another, a community of people that would have confrontations even with one another, a community of people that would even hurt one another, but that would put into practice these relationship principles that would love one another and allow that love to conquer any hurt, that would put into practice forgiveness and allow that forgiveness to triumph over any pain, and that there's a community that truly represents what God desires for humans. And that's not a perfect community, but it's a community where God's love, working through us, brings us together in unity where we recognize that we weren't just created to do life alone and that writing people off isn't a healthy way through life, but uh, facing our confrontations and facing our conflicts and applying these principles that Jesus teaches us to our lives is a healthy way through life because in that way we recognize the fact that we need our relationships and that relationships are essential to our lives and that this is the way that God has chosen for us to go through life. And it is ultimately a blessed way of life because we're not alone. We're with one another. Let's pray. God, we're thankful this morning um, that you've called us into community. God, I just pray that you help us to recognize that you've chosen to look past our wrong, to look past any debt that we've owed to you. God, that you didn't hold our faults against us, but you've chosen to love us. God, your love, it never fails. It never runs out. It never gives up on us. And we're thankful for that. God, you've loved us unconditionally and you've taught us what that looks like. God, please help us to do the same. Please help us to be a people that love unconditionally. That the world might know that we are followers of Christ not by the fact that we attend church or because we have a Bible in our dashboard or because we wear a cross around our neck. But they will know that we're followers of Christ by the way that we love one another. God, help that to be so. God, I know some of us are wrestling with this ideal of forgiveness and there's someone that we just can't imagine forgiving. Those words, we can't see how we could utter them to them. We feel like they owe us something and that to forgive is to give them more. And it is. But it is the kind of generosity that you're calling us to. And so, God, I just pray that you help us to forgive, not just in word, but in, with and from our heart, completely, continuously and actually. God, please help us to do that and to celebrate that as we do that, we're reminded that we're forgiven by you, that we can have a relationship with you and that you won't be like our earthly fathers, but you will be like a heavenly father who's perfect and whose love heals us, whose love restores us 
whose love calls us into relationship with you. God, we love you. Please help us to follow your command. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.